Welcome in, everybody, to another episode of the Digital Dispatch Podcast. My name is Blythe Bremleve. I am your host. And on today's episode, we've got a powerhouse amongst us. Christy Knitchell of Knitchell Logistics is joining the show to talk about taking over her family business, the power of networking, and why mentoring matters so much. Hope you all enjoy. Now moving into our our next guest because she is just wonderful. She's one of the women that I look up to in this industry. Christy Knitchell of Knitchell Logistics and also a panelist for the Ladies Leadership Coalition, which I'm honored to share a mic with her as well. We had Nicole on in last week's show, and now we got Christy on in this week's show. And Christy, I'm going to start off with sort of an industry-related question because I, I'm a novice when it comes to intermodal, and you're the expert. So I wanted to see if you could break down a, a, a few things for me because I think we we hear a lot as industry-wise, you know, about you know driver recruiting, how that's a huge issue and and, and just an issue that just persists. But how tight capacity is, uh, you know, the surging prices of a container. Are you you focus primarily? You have some freight brokerage and, and and some truck brokerage, but you focus primarily on intermodal. Are a lot of those same struggles that you're seeing on the trucking side affect the intermodal side as well? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we're having issues with finding equipment capacity. Um, you might be able to get a box, but you might not be able to get a dray carrier or the trucking on each end to be able to either pick up the shipment or deliver the shipment, depending on where it's going, um, what time. Um, some of these shippers or receivers um, are having a hard time, I think, changing appointments around um, when it's needed um, on the mm-hmm. rail because we do so much. One of the biggest issues is the inconsistent train schedules that are that are happening right now, which is causing a lot of reschedules. Oh, wow. I didn't even really think about that. I have a train that, or I guess I I don't even know the right phrase that I'm going to call this, but there's a logistics plant near my house and not a plant, but there's, they have a train running through it regularly. So I hear the horn all the time and I I didn't even think of it from, from that aspect. So sticking with my fifth grade level questions for, for intermodal for a second, because I, I, like I said, I know you have a truck side of of the business too, but what are some of the daily struggles that an an intermodal carrier experiences that maybe other folks in, in other modes and sectors don't realize? So I think, you know, not only are they dealing with the infrastructure issues, the traffic, that type of stuff, but when you're going into a rail ramp, there is a lot of congestion that's going on, um, depending on if you're going into a port versus an actual ramp. The ports are more congested um, than an actual rail ramp. So some of these drivers are having to wait three or four hours just to get in and out of an actual ramp, and that's to either get an empty box or to get a loaded box. And um, order to bring an empty box back after delivering, um, even though I would say in most cases, I think these carriers are trying to reload as much as they can before they bring back an empty box to the ramp. So those are definitely the big challenges. And then also, same thing with picking up and delivering at shippers or receivers, um, being held up for a period of time. Um, where a customer might either want them to drop the shipment and they, they just don't want to drop the shipment or they're you know telling them it's going to take hours to unload. Um, so it's really a lot of the same issues that you see on the over-the-road side. And so to, to switch gears just a little bit on the perks side of things, what are some of the perks of running intermodal, intermodal freight versus over-the-road? So intermodal is more, more um, economically efficient from a fuel standpoint. So there's um, a lot of um, 
benefits in that aspect. And then also that you can save 10 to 20, 25% on your line haul pricing um, with rail in you know most markets, um, anything over 750 miles, we typically look at for shipping, you know, or going from truck to rail basically um, can be more efficient. The only thing I would say with that is these uh, shippers or receivers have to be able to, um, you know, take more time with receiving the product as far as, you know, a, a truck might be able to get there in one or two days going across the country might take seven days. Um, oh, with wow. the inconsistent train schedules though, I will say that throws another, you know, wrench in the blender there. So it might be seven days, it might be 10 days, it might be 12 days, it might be six days. It's been um, pretty awful to say the least, but I know the railroads are definitely working on um, making those changes so that we can have a better consistency with bringing that product in. I love it. Thank, thank for thank you for breaking that down for me for my fifth grade intermodal, you know, sort of education that I'm working with here because it helps me, you know, sort of better understand and, and and backing it up just a little bit to your early days in in your career. You weren't always in logistics. Uh, your 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 father was famously the 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 owner of Knitchell Logistics before you joined the team. You were managing, you know, two pizza shops before he convinced you to to join the family business. Now, how much of a challenge? was the learning curve. I mean, we just witnessed my learning curve for intermodal, but how much of a, of a learning curve was it for you to go from managing two pizza shops to, to managing a, you know, close to a hundred million dollar business? You know, I would say when I came on board, we were a very small company, so it wasn't as difficult. Um, I was always the person to jump in, figure it out, learn, do whatever I had to do, even as a, you know, working in the pizza shop or even waitressing at one point, um, basically, you know, doing whatever needs to be done and wanting to learn it. And when I first started, it was actually um, not as busy and I would say as crazy busy as it is now. Um, things have changed quite a bit and it's been a little bit more complicated to do what we do today than what it was um, back then. So, you know, obviously learning the terminology is something that you don't have to necessarily do at a pizza shop and um, or waitressing or whatnot. I mean, yeah, you have to learn the menus and that type of thing. But, you know, the terminology was probably the biggest piece and how it all works together. But once you get into it within a few months or so, I just, I don't know, I picked it up pretty fast. Some people pick it up fast and some uh, takes a little bit more time. No, I, I I love that you said that you were a waitress because I feel like that is an industry. Obviously, I mean, not I feel it, it's definitely an industry that's been the hardest hit over the last year. I'm a former waitress. I think that that skill set just translates into so many other industries because you have to talk to perfect strangers, you have to upsell, you have to worry about customer service. So I love that you were a, a waitress and transitioned into this powerful, you know, sort of voice in the logistics market. And and you've grown your business into a multi million dollar firm, and part of that growth is by focusing on your people. Now, I've heard you mention that you like to hire folks with a sports background. Why is that a focus for you? We feel here that if you have a sports background of some sort, that you have more of a competitiveness to yourself. Um, and in this industry, I feel like in the operation side, the pricing side, you just have to have that competitiveness. competitiveness I can't talk today inside to want to win the business, to want to be able to move the business, get the shipment picked up, get it delivered, make your customers happy. Um, and I just feel like, you know, people that do um, sports or have done sports tend to have more of that in them. Mm -hmm. um, it doesn't mean that you have to have it, but, you know, it's definitely something we look for in people in certain roles. 
Now, you, you also make it a point to be invested in each of your employees. How did you manage those relationships, especially during COVID versus now when a lot of folks are, are back in the office? Yeah, I think one of the things that was important was for me to make sure not only did I stay in touch with, you know, management team and those type of things that we've done even here at the office, but, you know, call each individual, reach out to each individual within my company, make sure that they're doing okay. Is there anything they need from me? Do they need support in some way or another? Just letting them know that I'm here and I'm backing them up and, you know, we're all going through this together. And, um, you know, if they ever need to reach out to me, they can. I do have an open door policy and, you know, there are people that, you know, have been here 12, 15 years, um, been here, you know, pretty much from the inception almost. So we've just built a great culture around that. And I just want people to know that even though we're at home, we're still there. I'm still, you know, seeing what's going on and knowing what's going on as well. I love that. I love when people put other people first. It, it really shows, I think, in, in in just the overall output. And and speaking, you know, sort of outside of the business, you're also involved in a bunch of different things. You're mentoring others, especially women in the industry. You're serving on the board of directors for the TIA. You're heavily involved in local charities and sponsorships. You're earning awards like 2020's Influential Women in Trucking and Women in Logistics from the Women in Trucking Association. You've also received an award twice for the fastest growing companies in Pittsburgh. And I think that th- those last two awards make a ton of sense considering you're a panelist and one of the driving factors of starting the group, the Ladies Leadership Coalition. Now we had, we mentioned earlier that we had Nicole on. She's another panelist and, and the founder of the group. But she said that your mentorship to her was a big reason why she saw the value in creating this group and by how much you helped her. For many executives of, of growing companies, they say, that they're you know too too busy to mentor or even add more to their plate. So why was mentoring women like Nicole and starting this group so important to you? I think because I didn't have that for me when I grew up in the industry. I'm in my 24th year. So back when I started, you know, it was mostly all men. Um, even to this day, I'm still in rooms with um, a lot of men, and you know, there might be one woman if that um, when I'm at rail meetings. So. To me, it means a lot to be able to give back what I've learned because I've had to learn the hard way um, and figure things out in ways that, you know, were just not easy. And being able, you know, having to reach out to eventually other peers um, at some point, I just pushed myself to do it. And there was people out there that were willing to help me, but I really didn't have a support system like I feel like we have now. Um, with all these other women up and coming. I just think it's so important that we help each other, we engage each other and do what we can to just, you know, rise above it all and just keep pushing each other forward. I love that because it's been such a great thing to to watch just sort of from the sidelines and now to, to to be a part of it with, you know, on a show like you and Nicole, it really is such an invaluable learning experience. And I encourage anyone that that's out there, especially women, if you're in the logistics industry to go watch that show because you can learn from industry veterans like Christy, because I, I think that especially for, for introverted people. I, I'm a little introverted myself. I know it probably doesn't look like it with the, you know, a microphone in front of my face, but y- you talk about how there's a tremendous amount of value for putting yourself out there to stand out from the crowd. For someone who may be a tad bit of an introvert, what advice would you give to others in the industry to help overcome that initial, like, oh God, I have to talk to strangers moment? <laughs> You know, I think the biggest thing is you just have to be yourself. And if you want to keep growing and do what you're doing, I keep telling myself, like, this is my job. This is what I have to do. 
I told someone yesterday that when I get asked to do things, so that sometimes I'm sitting there thinking like, yeah, like I would love to do that. And then I'm thinking in my head, like, how do I get out of this? And I know that sounds crazy, but then I push myself <laughs> to do it because I know how important it is and what it's done for me and to help me in my business. It's been tremendous. Um, I can't even tell you how, um, you know, how it's just been life-changing um, for me and my company. Um, if you would even see, you know, like eight years ago, I just did a charity um, taping yesterday with, um, it's called the Heinz Ward Positive Athlete here in Pittsburgh. That's a big charity that I'm involved in. And the guy said, if you would have seen how you were eight years ago versus today, like he's just so proud of how far I've come with the whole speaking because it has been a challenge for me. And um, you just can't be afraid to put yourself out there. I did work with a coach for a little bit. And I plan to continue to work with the coach as well. And you just got to put that time and effort in if you want to continue to evolve in your career. I love that. All, all of it, including the part about Heinz Ward and, and Pittsburgh, because as an avid Jaguars fan, I'm, I'm not allowed to like anything that's Steelers related, but he doesn't play for the Steelers anymore. So I think I'm allowed to like that. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> What's He's next for... Great guy. I, I, I guess so. But the Jaguars still have a winning record against the Steelers. It's the only team in the NFL that we can say that about. Well, you know, it's funny, Blythe. I've been down there for multiple games, and I just felt like I was at home at a Steelers oh, game, no. like sitting in Pittsburgh, but yet I'm sitting in a stadium with a pool on the upper level thinking, wow, like I just feel like I'm at home because <laughs> oh, of no. so many Steelers fans. <laughs> Oh no! <laughs> I don't even know what to say to that because I all I all I can do is just blame the Middleburg part of Jacksonville. We don't claim right. them. Jacksonville doesn't claim that part of town. <laughs> all right. All, all jokes aside, what is uh what's the next steps for for you and the company? Uh, do you have any big plans for later on this year? For maybe even the coming years? Yeah, I mean, we are planning to grow out our truck brokerage and grow that a lot bigger than what it is today because 75% of my business or revenue that we have here is on the rail side, but we do have LTL that's growing and the truck brokerage is, is a huge part. We're also growing out our agent program as well. Um, and I do have plans to hit $250 million. So we're putting together a plan, hopefully in three to five years, and I know it's pretty aggressive, but I think we can get there and and possibly hit that $100 million goal this year as well. That was my first goal that I ever had hit. And um, I have a good team around me and I'm super excited about it. Oh, oh, that's awesome. That would be incredible to, to, to watch that. And I have zero doubt that, that you'll eventually get there. Now, now where Christy, where can people follow more of you, more of your work, uh, Kenichel Logistics work? Sure. Um, KanishaLogistics.com is our website, but we're all over social media, whether it's Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, um, YouTube even. I think we have some stuff out there as well. So I'm on there. Um, so yeah, I mean, definitely check us out and look us up. And you know, if we can be of help to you, certainly reach out. Awesome. Well, well, thank you so much, Christy. And and I'll just just walk away with my tail between my legs after the Jaguars joke. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> just, just gonna keep telling myself It'll it's okay. okay. <laughs> it's only one okay. way to go for us, and that's up. Yeah, absolutely. See, that's a positive thing that came out of this. <laughs> thank you so much, Christy. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Digital Dispatch Podcast. As always, you can find each show I publish along with more insight over on my website, digitaldispatch.io. If you like this podcast, then I think you'll love another show that I host, Cyberly, which covers the attention economy, B2B marketing, tech, and how it all ties into the world of logistics. 
That show airs every Thursday from 2 to 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, live on FreightWaves TV. There are also some links to my social media accounts along with my products and services that might be of interest to you. You can find them in the show notes or again over on my website at digitaldispatch.io. If you found this episode interesting and or entertaining, be sure to share it with a friend. Word of mouth is the best kind of marketing and since podcast discoverability has and remains an issue in this medium, I trust and rely on folks like yourself that will share it with those who would also find it useful. Until next time, my name is Blythe Bremley, and I will see you real soon.